investing in property makes sense. Investing in the right property takes knowledge. Welcome to the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. I'm Jared McCabe, Director of Wakeland Property Advisory. Join me for expert insights into the fundamentals, trends and opportunities to help you create long-term wealth through smart property decisions. Hi everyone and thank you for joining me for episode 11 of the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. So there's been a lot of talk in recent weeks about underquoting. Um, many articles, many media commentary, talk back on radio. Uh, it's always a, uh, a very passionate topic that's covered in real estate um, and you can pretty much set your clock by becoming one of those major topics as soon as the market starts to rise. Every time we have the discussion around the office that um, here comes the underquoting discussion as soon as we get some uh, some positive market movement. Um, a colleague of mine in Sydney, Veronica Morgan, who uh, I speak to on a regular basis, has a fantastic um, podcast, The Elephant in the Room, if you haven't heard it, uh, with Chris Bates. She made a post on social media uh, early this week and the debate came thick and fast. She just posted an article that had been posted in one of, um, or written in one of, the major newspapers within the country, and uh, certainly there was a lot of uh, debate, a lot of discussion from uh, buyers advocates, uh, real estate agents, people in, in the financial industry, uh, a lot of discussion, and it, and it does um, bring a lot of that out. Um, but the arguments I typically find uh, come back to chicken and egg type stuff, where Uh, It goes round and around in circles as to um, what will stop this from occurring, whether that be disclosing reserve prices, uh, whether it be it's the the vendor's right to determine this and and buyers add things on uh, prices on top. So the quite common quote you hear from real estate agents is that buyers are liars, they never tell you the truth. and so why should uh, why should the, the reserve be disclosed? So this, this goes around and around and in circles. So what I thought we'd do today is trying to have a look at it from both sides of the argument um, because they both do have merit um, and there's both positives from, from either side. Um, now, typically, the thing to bear in mind is that underquoting um, is generally an issue that comes up from auction sales. So it's far more common in Melbourne and Sydney where auctions are far more prominent. Um, as of, so you typically find with an auction campaign that the market uh, or the marketing and the campaign will build going through and and hopefully the objective is to, to get at the top end of the quote price or even more if things go really well. Whereas if you're looking at things from a private sale or perhaps an expression of interest, um, it's usually that's the target price and that's the ideal to get towards. And that's typically the mentality of buyers and, and agents. So what people are working towards and what they're, what they're expecting when going into a negotiation. So to start off with, let's have a look at um, uh, the definition of underquoting as per Consumer Affairs Victoria, given that's where we're active, that's what um, we'll look at. So they determine underquoting occurs when a property is advertised at a price that is less than the estimated selling price, uh, is less than the seller's asking price, or has already been rejected by the seller. So as you can see, it's not exactly watertight in terms of its definition. Um, it's up to consumer affairs to police this, um, and that's their definition. Now, I think it could be tightened up a little bit, um, but that's that's certainly where it sits at the moment. They've tried to, in Victoria particularly, in recent times, make attempts to introduce extra steps to prevent underquoting from occur- occurring and try and make the process a little more transparent for buyers by introducing what's referred to as a statement of information. Now that statement of information must include a number of things, being the indicative selling price, which can be either a single price or it can be a price range of up to 10%, but not exceeding that. Uh, It has to include the median house or unit price for that suburb, depending upon the property. 
Uh, it also needs to provide details of three comparable sales. Uh, so you need to provide the address, the date of sale, and the sale price. And those properties need to be similar in standard to the subject property. And then within metropolitan Melbourne, within six kilometers of the subject property, uh, sorry, sorry, I'll correct myself there, Within the sale must have occurred within six months of um, the property going to market and within a two kilometer radius of the subject property. Outside metropolitan Melbourne, it's 18 months and within a five kilometer radius. Now, already that starts to um, uh, create a few red flags, particularly when you look at, say, some of the, the growth that's been experienced in regional areas of Victoria in the past, well, three or four years, rather than just in the last six months. Um, but if you're looking at sales that are up to 18 months old, they're, um, they're going to be well and truly out of date, particularly in some of the, the larger regional cities, Ballarat, Bendigo, Geelong. Um, but even in Mel metropolitan Melbourne, I mean, sales that are uh, four, five, six months old, when we're seeing the capital growth rates that we're seeing at present, um, typically means that a lot of those sales will be out of date. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk about that um, later on in the podcast around assessing value and, and what needs to be part of the considerations. So that, that was an attempt at trying to um, appease people around the buying side of things. The statement of information should be readily available. It's not always easily um, found on websites. And surprisingly, a lot of buyers still don't know about it. Uh, we get quite regularly get phone calls from clients saying, can you tell me what the asking price is on, on this property? And they'll send the link. And it's as simple as one extra click. But people, unless they're um, regularly in the property market, don't always know about it. So... Okay, let's have a look at things now. I thought we'd look at um, underquoting from the different uh, components or the different perspectives of um, participants within the uh, industry. So if we look at it from a buyer's point of view, we'll look at it from a, a vendor's point of view, and we'll look at it from the agent's perspective as well. So starting with buyers, um, obviously it, it really is from their point of view a cause of great a great deal of angst. Um, Buying a property, spending hundreds if hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars on, on a property is a very emotionally stressful time, but can also be a very financially stressful time if you're putting your head in the noose for a 30-year mortgage of um, millions of dollars. It can be, um, and it is, a very stressful time. So it can also provide um, unwary buyers um, with false sense of hope, um, false sense of expectation that they may well be able to... Uh, afford a property, they get very emotionally attached to it, um, see themselves moving in, and then find out uh, as the campaign progresses or the auction um, comes to a conclusion that they really weren't much of a chance to buy that property. Now, the state of information, as I said before, can be a bit of an issue for a lot of buyers too. They can quite regularly look at the comparable sales um, and not realise that those sales are more often than not used by an agent to um, uh, justify a quote price rather than an actual sale price um, and how relevant those comparable sales are. I mentioned earlier that they needed to be similar to the subject property. Well, that's certainly in the eye of the beholder. Uh, and what uh, one agent might consider to be a comparable sale, uh, one buyer may not uh, necessarily see it through the same lens. And look, that's part of um, valuing property. It's not the same as valuing shares. Uh, you, you can't look at it the same way. Every property is very different. Um, even if they are in the same street, there's going to be different elements and aspects to them that are going to make them differentiate. So it's highly unlikely you're going to see exactly the same property selling. And those, those adjustments therefore need to be made. Um, but it, it can be a costly exercise going through that process if you are a buyer trying to um, get your head around purchasing something only to find out that it's 
uh, really out of the budget in the first instance. Things like having a, uh, a contract reviewed by a solicitor. Now, a lot of solicitors' conveyances will do that for you um, free of charge initially as part of the process with the understanding that they would get the conveyancing at the end of the day. But if you're starting to have four or five contracts reviewed, then they may well start to charge you for their time, understandably. Um, and if you are looking at houses, um, there's every chance that you'll be looking at getting a building inspection each time. And that can cost anywhere between $500 through to $1,000. And that's a lot of money if you're um, missing out on multiple properties uh, and having to go back time and time again to get them uh, inspected. And you do need to do that because that five, $500, $600 could save you hundreds of thousands of dollars in the long run. So from a buyer's perspective, I think the really important things to remember are that the agent is there to, to help facilitate the sale. They are not there to represent your interests. They are there to help the vendor. They are trying to get the best price for the vendor. So you need to do your own homework. Price ranges, well, they should be treated as a starting point, but not the end point. So look at that as a starting point of where you you probably have to consider um, the price will commence, but it's not necessarily likely to conclude at that sort of point. So the really important aspect is to do your own research. Don't rely just on that sale price. Do your own homework. Look at where other sales are, are occurring. Look at the competition that's been occurring at some of those sales so that you can see whether there is a depth of, um, of other buyers around that um, you will have to compete with going down the track. And, and we see it regularly that once buyers start to miss out on a number of properties, they'll they'll do a number of different things. They'll either push further out and look at alternate suburbs, or they'll try and find more money. Um, and so don't necessarily expect that just because the one property sold a month ago for this and it's quite similar to this one, the one you're looking at currently, that you'll get it at the same price. It's just not necessarily going to fall that way. Um, the benefit for, for buyers at the moment in terms of doing your own research is that there's really never been a time where there's been more information available. So being able to get access to comparable sales and things, if you go back even 10, 15 years ago, it would have required you to um, scour through uh, newspapers, auction results, um, and go back through old papers to find um, print advertisements. So it, the, the industry's come a long way and, and the information available has come a long way in the last 15, 10 to 15 years. So um, you can make make um, that work for you um, and uh, and get as much help as you possibly can. The other thing that's really important is understanding um, what valuing a property looks like uh, and understand that it's part art and part science. So looking at the comparable sales is very relevant and, and very important. But the art comes into play when you start to look at the market sentiment and having, and that's, you can only really get a feel for that by attending a lot of auctions of similar type properties and getting a feel for the depth of buyers and the competition that's going to be around for that property. Um, so that, that I think that, you know, particularly in a rising market, that market sentiment um, is almost more important to get an understanding of that than just the, um, the technical value, the, um, the historical sales side of things. The other thing that I would say is um, if you need help, then get it. Don't let ego get in the way of, um, of being able to uh, successfully purchase a property. Um, and where possible, try and take the emotion out of things. So if you're going to an auction, I mean, I can speak from experience. I don't um, bid at auctions for myself when I'm uh, looking to buy a property. Uh, I would get um, a colleague to do that for me so that it does take that emotion out. They can look at it and see it clearly. They know when to bid. And if you are emotionally invested in a property, things can get clouded quite easily. So 
that doesn't necessarily, I don't want to sound like it's self-serving here, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go and get a buyer's agent. Um, you could have a, a family member, a friend who is quite savvy um, and quite confident in that environment, perhaps bid at a number of properties before, um, and have them represent you at an auction. Uh, it just It takes that emotion out. It means that you don't get too caught up in things and you don't get um, swayed by an agent convincing you to make extra bids that perhaps you shouldn't necessarily be doing. Okay, so let's look at it from a vendor's point of view. Um, really, a vendor's objective with an auction is that they want to achieve the best price they possibly can. Now, a lot of vendors, and rightly so, have a fear that buyers are going to add tens, if not hundreds of thousand dollars on top of quote, pro, quote ranges that they put to the market. So they'll look at uh, they, their worry is that a buyer is going to look at it and say, well, if you're quoting that, you want hundreds of thousands of dollars more than that. I can't afford it, therefore I'm not going to go. And that, as a result, will kill the campaign. And that absolutely happens. So this is where I come back to the comments I made earlier about the chicken and egg and getting on that round and around in circles type scenario. Because the argument from a vendor's point of view is, well, I don't want to increase the quote because buyers will add hundreds of thousands of dollars on top. And buyers will say, well, if you quoted realistically, I wouldn't have to do that. But someone's got to be the first person to do that. And unless there's some form of drastic change in um, policy, uh, I think it's just going, this this vicious circle is going to continue to go round and around in circles. So a buyer is going to have that mindset. They'll, they, they view the initial, sorry, a vendor will view the initial quote price as a starting point to test the market so that they can get some direct feedback from prospective buyers uh, and get an idea of where people feel the market sits with value, particularly if it's something that perhaps has got a little bit of point of difference to it. Um, and it also then, with the auction campaign allows them to have a degree of flexibility around what the final sale price will be. Uh, and obviously the market is going to dictate that. That's where the auction process comes into play. Um, the other thing is that the vendor sits back and says, well, at the end of the day, it is my property and I'll choose when and if I want to sell it. And if market um, sentiment or market conditions change during my auction, I reserve the right, or my auction campaign, sorry, I reserve the right to change my expectations as that goes through. So if that's from a both a negative and a positive perspective, if I'm not getting the feedback that I thought I was going to get, then I'll reduce my quote. If things are going far better than I expected them to, then I'll start to increase my quote. Um, there's an age-old um, saying that a, an old value a mentor of mine had as well, which I always think vendors use, and rightly so again, um, when assessing value, because you quite regularly hear a, um, a buyer come in and say, well, that sale around the corner sold for X, you must be expecting the same. And this value of um, mentor of mine used to say, one sale doesn't make the market. So just because, and that's both again, from a positive and a negative perspective, one really strong result or one really negative result doesn't necessarily mean that the, the market dynamic changes for that type of property. So there's, there's quite often more that needs to be read into, and that's by doing your research, you can find out what that, what that information is. Now, from an agent's perspective, looking at underquoting, there's an, an old um, agent saying that uh, many, particularly old, old school agents live by, which was, quote them low, watch them go, quote them high, watch them die. Um, and, and a lot of agents uh, in the past particularly, and still to this day, live by that mantra and, and are certainly concerned by it. At the end of the day, though, the agent wants to garner as much interest on a property as possible so they can get as much direct feedback on that property as they possibly can. And that the view is the best way to do that, to get as many people through, is to make the property as attractive to the market as possible. 
But there, there needs to be a balance that comes into play. If you quote too low, and we've certainly seen this over years as well, you'll be pitching at the wrong buyer, um, and buyers will get miffed because you'll be under, they'll be perceiving you as underquoting, and that's when you can get yourself into trouble. But if they quote too high, again, you can be pitching at the wrong buyer, but vendors then get miffed because they didn't get the desired result that they were potentially hoping for. So the balancing act comes into play there, and that's where... Um, both buyers, or particularly buyers, need to remember that at the end of the day, the agent's loyalty lies with their vendor to get the best result they possibly can. Always keep that in the back of your mind. Um, and they are there to, to represent that to represent that vendor to the best of their ability. They will argue, um, rightly, that um, the sale price, if it does get well and truly above the quote price range, but the, the property was declared on the market in line with that quote, whether it's at the top end or slightly above, if the sale price soars but beyond that, well, that's market driven. That's not under quoting. That's where the, the value, the, the market has seen value. It's gone beyond what we were expecting. Um, and that's where um, uh, it's been taken to. They do need to be careful though, agents, because at some time, point in time, the market will turn, um, and it will start to. It might start to plateau, or it might even start to drop. I think in the current climate, particularly in Melbourne, it's more likely to plateau, but it, it will will change at some point in time. And properties that are perhaps quoted um, at a certain price point that then pass in slightly above or at the top end or above that quoted price, because the reserve is a lot higher than that. Uh, that's when um, the underquoting debate really kicks into gear, I think, and where vendors and agents can get themselves uh, into a bit of trouble because the expectation was in line with that quote. Um, you've you've exceeded that quote and you still haven't declared the property on the market. So that's something that has to be mindful of and particularly um, in a rising market, it will reach a peak at some point in time and it will change direction. And if, um, if that's not taken into account, then um, things can come back to bite you. So I've got a couple of stories today to go over, um, both from a buying point of view and from a selling perspective um, in regards to underquoting. Um, from the buying side of things, uh, I recent in recent times, and literally only within the last few months, a client identified a property that they um, uh, really liked the look of online. Um, we decided to, as we quite regularly do with home buyers, inspect the property separately. Um, and um, the first open for inspection with this one occurred just not long after the recent May lockdown that we had. So it is a, it's certainly um, reflective of current market conditions. The initial quote was in the high $1 million range. And after looking at it online and seeing that quote price, I was already um, having some red flags running um, up the pole. It was an architect designed house, um, fairly recently constructed on a good sized parcel of land. Um, and those parcels of land, um, I was fully aware in that suburb had been selling for in the high one mills. So it was already starting to look as though um, it, it was a, it was going to be an underquote. Um, my client at that stage had a capacity of around $2.3 million uh, at a max. And so they were quite keen on the property, uh, he and his partner. Um, and after the first open for inspection and I'd been through it and I saw the number of people that were there, 
I said to him that I, I thought that he needed to move on and look elsewhere. I didn't think we were realistically going to be a chance. Now, he was very disappointed and was for a number of weeks still holding out hope that we would um, we might still be a chance and be able to go up until probably a few days before the auction. Now, the quote range, the quote price for that one increased a couple of times during that campaign and in the end got up to 2.3 just before the auction and then um, it ended up selling for $2.75 million, which um, was a strong result, but it certainly wasn't out of the um, out of the ordinary when you looked at some of the sales that have occurred in and around that suburb and an adjoining suburb in recent, recent times. So I managed to, um, leading into the auction, convince him not to waste his money on a building inspection because I just didn't think that he would be any chance to buy it, um, which he was thankful for. But without, again, um, that... Uh, external advice to to um, to give him some realistic expectations on the sale price. He would have, and was very emotionally attached to that property. But if you look at it from um, from the other side of things, and we look at it from a um, a vendor's perspective, um, we had some clients that had been ready to sell um, for a number of years, but just needed the right time. And and in the end, after. Uh, COVID lockdown last year decided that early 2021 um, would be a, a good time to do that. Um, we assessed the value on the property based on sales evidence that had been around. There wasn't a huge amount given that um, 2020 had been a fairly subdued market, but we had some some reasonable sales to determine where we thought value sat, um, which were used to um, quote to the market. And that meant that the, the price was reflective of the sales, but was also reflective of the vendor's expectations as well. Um, now we had a really good campaign. It, it went extremely well. It was very well received by the market. On auction day, we had our first bid um, that came in at the top of the quote price. Um, and after our second bid, um, the property was certainly on the market and ready to be sold. There were four bidders and they ended up taking it to a million dollars over that top of the quote price. Now, sit back and say, well, that was... Um, that was underquoted. Well, no, we were very much in line and this, the sales dictated that it was at that level. There were four bidders. Um, two of them dropped out, um, not too far over the top of the quote, a little bit over the top. Um, and two bidders took it a further $750,000 up with the eventual purchaser being an adjoining owner. So had a vested interest, really wanted the property and took it to that price point. So does that mean it's underquoting? No, it's an out-of-the-box result, which can and does happen, particularly in a rising market. So you've got to understand the nuances and understand some of the intricacies of what's happened around that sale result before you start um, really getting carried away with just looking at the sale price versus the quote price. All right, so that's about it for today's podcast. Again, thank you very much for joining me for episode 11. Please feel free to share the podcast with family and friends and keep sharing it out on uh, on social media. We really appreciate it. And if you'd like to um, any further information on how to make rewarding property decisions, please visit our website, wakeland.com.au, and we wish you all the best with your property decisions.